0: If you brought a Bible to church and you would like to point your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, that's where we will begin our service today, Exodus chapter 20. We're going to be reading from verse 1 down to 17. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one provided for you in the pew in front of you, and you'll find Exodus 20 on page 61 of the church Bible. We have made our way to the 10th of the Ten Commandments. And today we wrap up our series in the Ten Commandments, and I would just like to say to you, thank you for giving me the privilege of teaching through the Ten Commandments. It has been a joy to my soul. I I trust that it has been to you as you've considered these Ten Commandments. Today we'll be considering the Tenth Commandment. So. Exodus chapter 20, I'll read the passage and then ask for the Lord's blessing on our time together, that He would grant His Spirit to us to understand this text, and then we'll work our way through it together. Exodus chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Let's pray. Father, we come to you through your Son, and we ask that you would give grace to us now to understand your word. For we know, Lord, that without your Spirit, these are just words on the page. But with your Spirit, they are the words of eternal life. And so we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us and that we who have ears would hear what the Spirit is saying to his church. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, I wonder if you find it strange. The Ten Commandments starts off with these massive statements. You know, God says, I am the Lord your God. There is no other God before me, and you shall not worship any God before me because I'm the only. And then he moves on to these other massive statements, like respect authority and don't murder and keep your marriage vows and don't steal from people and don't lie on the witness stand. And then the Ten Commandments close with the statement, Oh, and stop staring at John's donkey. And you're thinking, like, how did that one make the list? Like, don't murder, I understand. But don't covet. That just feels beneath the other ones. Well, it is beneath the other ones. But not in terms of seriousness. In terms of origin in terms of cause. The last commandment in the Ten Commandments might actually be the most serious of them all. The sting is in the tail, so to speak. So a fellow may read the first nine commandments and think to himself, I got this. I'm good. Don't worship Baal. Check. Don't dance around fires and pray for rain. Not even a temptation. Don't talk about God in the wrong way. Well, I just won't talk about God at all. Take the Sabbath off. Easy. Honor my old man. Don't murder. Don't cheat. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't cuss and chew and run with others who do. I got it. I'm good. And then the tenth commandment comes along, and it pulls back the couch, and it opens the closet, and it peeks into your sock drawer, and it looks under the rug of your heart, and it calls this man to question his very desires, to question his motivation. Without the Tenth Commandment, it is conceivable that someone, after evaluating themselves from the outside, might conclude that they have kept the law of God. Without the Tenth Commandment, they might not see that what we do on the outside is actually a symptom of what's going on and what's already been done on the inside. Coveting is the sin before the sin. It reveals that our need for a Savior goes deep, like all the way deep, to the very bottom where our desires and affections and motivations live. As I said, the sting is in the tail. From the Tenth Commandment, you learn that you don't actually break this commandment with a crowbar in your hand. You don't break the Tenth Commandment by getting a motel room with a lover or by ignoring your mom's phone call at Christmas. You break the Tenth Commandment before you do any of those things. You break the Tenth Commandment in your heart. Covetousness is invisible. To everyone except God. The Tenth Commandment reveals the depth of God's all-seeing eye. For here we learn that God sees into the very heart of the man, querying his desires, the things that move us and shape us and make us who we are. And here we see that God hold us, holds us to a standard because God can read our thoughts. He knows our thoughts even before we think them. We hide nothing from Him, that our very desires are subject to His examination, even the desires that we don't act on. Which is all to say, it isn't strange that God would begin the, tenth command, the Ten Commandments with idolatry and end the Ten Commandments with coveting. It isn't strange at all. And in a few moments, we'll see that those two things are actually the same thing. That idolatry and coveting commit the same sin. That one drives the other. So here's what we'll do, we'll we'll look at the 10th commandment, we'll define it first, and then we'll look at the ways in which it's broken, and then finally, we'll spend some time considering how the Lord Jesus Himself not only forgives the 10th, 10th commandment breakers, but He also fulfilled the 10th commandment Himself and gives us grace to keep it. So here's the big idea this morning, you can see this on the screen, be content in God and all that He provides, thereby keeping, keep. The 10th commandment. So be content in God and all that God provides you. And when you do so, you'll keep the 10th commandment. So let's go back to verse 17 and let's read one more time the 10th commandment. And then we'll spend the next few minutes defining it. God says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't covet your neighbor's male servant or female servant. Don't covet your neighbor's ox or donkey. Don't covet anything that is your neighbor's. Once a man came to the Lord Jesus and told Jesus, Master, tell my brother to split our inheritance. And do you remember what Jesus said? He said, no. He told him, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. From this statement, Jesus teaches us at least four things. One, that we must be on guard against covetousness. That we have a responsibility to protect ourselves from covetousness. The second thing is that there are different kinds of covetousness. Be on guard against all covetousness. So it comes in various forms. Third thing, covetousness has to do with possessions. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then finally, the Lord teaches us that coveting is somehow lessening God's purpose for our life. Well, I trust that you'll see that as we work our way through the Tenth Commandment. So what does it mean to covet? Simply put, to covet means to desire, to crave, or to yearn for something that belongs to someone else. To crave, or to yearn, or to desire something that belongs to another. So it's not really a wanting thing, per se. It's a wanting things that someone else has that you want for yourself. You see, desire is not wrong. We are not Buddhists. In Buddhism, it teaches that the the, the source of all mankind's problems is desire. You need to get rid of desire. That's not what Christianity teaches at all. Christianity teaches that desires, if they're good, if they're for the right things, then God blesses them. So Christianity teaches that desires aren't wrong, you just need to focus your desires on the right things, for the right reasons. And neither does the Tenth Commandment forbid ambition. Ambition in and of itself is not wrong, as long as it's for the right things and with the right reasons. So it was the Apostle Paul who said that I make it my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. Mission requires ambition. So it's not wrong to have ambition. 2 Corinthians 5.9 says that we should make it our ambition to please the Lord. So desire, ambition, these can be good things. We read it at the opening. God made us a thinking and feeling people. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. So right desire for the right things is a good thing. So This is not what's being forbidden by the Tenth Commandment. The Tenth Commandment forbids wrong desires or desires for the right things for the wrong reasons. So one old Baptist catechism from Benjamin Keach, puts it this way, the 10th commandment forbids all discontentment with our own estate, envying or grieving at the good of our neighbor and all inordinate motions and affections to anything that is his. So coveting starts in the heart. As I said, it is the sin before the sin. And so for this reason, coveting is about as old as humanity itself. So I would like to show you this. One more time in the Ten Commandments, we're going to find ourselves going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. So if you have your Bibles open still, please point them to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. If you're using one of the church Bibles, that's page 2. God told the first man, Adam, that he could eat from any tree in the garden, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And If he did eat from that tree, he would die. And then the enemy came and began to question God's word and question God's provision. And the enemy began to sow discontent in the heart of the woman. Genesis chapter 3, let's be, pick up reading in verse 4. So the servant said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, the fruit, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eye. And that the tree was to be coveted, that's the word, same word, to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. So you see what the enemy is doing here. He is sowing discontent in the heart of the woman. He's telling Eve, God is holding out on you. He lied to you. If you eat of it, you won't die. So eat of it, and by eating it, you can make yourself more than you are. you become more than what God has made you to be. You'll be like God Himself. And He doesn't want that for you. And so Eve must begin to wonder why her God, her Creator, would withhold something from her. She took her eyes off of her God and she took her eyes off of the good things that God had already provided for her. And verse 6 says that she saw that that the fruit was good. She saw that it was a delight to the eyes. She saw that it was to be coveted, to be desired to make one wise. Eve saw something that God had wisdom deity whatever it was something that God had that he didn't give to her and she wanted what he had for herself to get it she took Nate she break she broke God's commandment now perhaps I'm getting ahead of myself just a little bit but you know one of the one object in our world that has led to more coveting than perhaps any other is this right here. Not the model itself, but the promises that this gives. Do you want to know everything just like God knows everything? Well, you can, you can get on the internet and you can know just about anything there is to know. Do you want to be everywhere at any time you want to be? Just like God is omnipresent? Well, on here you can find out what's going on anywhere in the world at any time you want. You can get a hold of anyone you want anytime, just like God can. Coveting what God has, who God is, is the promise of the smartphone. And it's why we're so addicted to it. Because we want to be, just like Eve wanted to be, we want to be like God. Ironic, I think, isn't it, that the best-selling cell phone has a fruit as its symbol? Another striking example of coveting comes from the book of Joshua. So, if you want, point your Bibles to Joshua. That's forward from Genesis, page 183, Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. While you're turning to Joshua 7 or finding it, let me just bring you up to speed. God has led Israel out of the wilderness and into the land of promise. And before they settle in the land that God had given to them, they had to conquer cities and they had to remove the inhabitants of those cities. The Canaanites had been squatting in the land for centuries and they had been committing unimaginable atrocities toward one another and against God. And God warned them over and over again about this and they rejected Him. And so God brought Israel into the land and told them to devote everything to destruction. He told them, don't keep anything for yourself because if you do, you'll end up committing the same atrocities they committed. He told them that when you come into the land don't build on their foundation. I will give you what you need. I will be your God. I will provide for you. So they come into the land and the first battle went very well. Well, it wasn't much of a battle at all. Actually, they just ran in circles singing and dancing and God did all the work. But the second battle didn't go so well. It failed. And some people died. And Joshua, the leader, is distraught. And so he falls on his face before the Lord, and the Lord tells him why they failed. He said, Joshua, there's sin in the camp. Someone has kept back the things that they ought to have devoted to destruction, transgressing the very covenant that I made with you. And so Joshua stops everything, and the Lord exposes the man, a man called Achan. And if you have Joshua 7 open, look at verse 20 and 21. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them. And took them. And see, they're hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. Achan provides a good picture of breaking the 10th commandment. He coveted what the Canaanites had. Rather than trusting in God to provide for him and his family in the land, he wanted a leg up. He wanted something that God had given to someone else, and he became discontent with what he had, believing that he should have more than what he had, believing that by having more he would have an advantage. And you notice how Achan broke the Tenth Commandment before he broke the Ninth Commandment. Or the Eighth Commandment. Earlier, I mentioned that the Tenth Commandment and the First Commandment are the same. And that's not my idea. I didn't come up with that on my own. I'm not that clever. The First Commandment forbids adultery, or uh, idolatry rather. Idolatry. you remember from when we considered the first commandment, is looking to anything other than God to give you what only God can give you. And this is what coveting does. So turn all the way to Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, page 984, and I'll show you where I got this. Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 5. Well, just 5. The Apostle Paul writing to the Colossians says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then he gives some lists. Sexual immorality, put it to death. Impurity, put it to death. Passion, put it to death. Evil desire, put it to death. And covetousness, which is idolatry. When we covet... We look to something someone else has, expecting that if we had that thing, it would do something for us only God can do for us. We think if I only had what he has or what she has, then I would be better off. Or inversely, if I didn't have what I have, then I would be better off remember coveting comes in many forms well i think this may come into sharper focus as we consider some of the ways that we break the 10th commandment so let's go back to exodus chapter 20 verse 17 your fingers are getting a workout today I'm not sorry about that exodus chapter 20 verse 17 let's kind of work our way through some of the things which god forbids being Coveted in verse 17. So here's your examples in Exodus 20:17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Now, interestingly, when God gave Israel these laws, they were not, they didn't have houses. They were at Sinai in the wilderness, living in tents. They didn't have houses yet. So built into the tenth commandment is a promise. One day you're gonna have houses. I'm going to give you houses someday. And built into that promise, into this commandment, is this idea that some of y'all's houses are going to be bigger than other houses, and those people shouldn't covet the bigger house. So when you come into the land, I'm going to provide you a house, and I want you to furnish it, and I want you to take care of it, and I want you to make it look nice. And I'm going to give your neighbor a house, and they're going to furnish it, and they're going to take care of it, and they're going to make it look nice. Don't go over to Joanna Gaines' house and then go back to your house and think, my house stinks because it's not as nice as Joanna Gaines' house. Don't covet your neighbor's house. We break the Tenth Commandment in two ways. When we see what God has provided others and we compare that to the way God has provided others, for us. And one, we break it one way by becoming discontent with what God has provided us. We're telling God, I deserve more. You're not giving me what I deserve. That's discontentedness. That's the one way we break the Tenth Commandment. But the other way we break the Tenth Commandment is by is by not rejoicing in what God has provided, Joanna Gaines. Clearly, she has a gift, and God has blessed her. So we break the Tenth Commandment by being discontent with what God has provided us, and we also break the Tenth Commandment by not giving praise to God and thanks to God for what He's provided to others. If we think to ourselves, if I only had blank, then I could do blank, like her, like him, then we're coveting. If I only had blank, like he has, then I could do the things God has called me to do. If I only had a bigger house, like they have, then I could host a Bible study in my home. I could have foster kids. I could host an exchange student. But I don't have what they have, so I can't do what God is calling me to do. That's coveting. so if HGTV causes you to sin, cut it off. It's not real anyway. I don't know if you've noticed this about HGTV. But Chad and Laura are newlyweds, and Chad is part-time cook at McDonald's, and Laura runs an Etsy store, and their budget is $650,000 for a house. And you're just nodding, being like, dang, I wish I had $650,000. Wish I was a cook at McDonald's. Well, the commandment goes on don't covet your neighbor's wife. So don't look at your neighbor's wife, then look at your wife and wish your wife was prettier or a better housekeeper or a better cook or more fun or whatever. Fill in the blank. Don't covet your neighbor's husband. Don't look at at your neighbor's husband, then look at your husband and think you wish that yours was handsomer or handier or better with the kids or a better provider or more romantic or whatever. Fill in the blank. If rom-coms cause you to sin, cut them off. They are coveting. If you're single, this applies to you just as well. Don't look at your married neighbor and then let what they have feed discontentment in what God has provided to you. It's not a sin to want to be married, but it is a sin to believe that marriage can give to you what only God can give. Your contentment doesn't come from your marriage. Your contentment comes from your Savior. So be content with what you have. Be content with even what you haven't. If God provides you a spouse, great, praise the Lord. Be faithful, love that spouse. But if God has not provided you a spouse, great, praise the Lord. Be faithful without a spouse. 1 Corinthians 7, 17, Paul writes, Only let each person live the life that the Lord has assigned to him, and to which God has called him. God has called you to marriage, be faithful in marriage. If God has not called you to marriage, then be faithful there too. Don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's spouse. Don't covet your neighbor's servants. Or to put this in a first century context, don't covet your neighbor's business. Some of you, God has blessed your business in such a way that you have employees. But if God has not provided you that kind of success in your business, be content with what God has provided you. If God has provided your neighbor with success in their business, thank God for that success. And work hard in what God has provided you. Be faithful in the little things and be generous with what God has provided. But don't let yourself think that if you only had the success that your neighbor has, then you would start being generous. That's not how it works. That's never how it works. Don't start thinking that if God were to bless my business the way he blesses that business, then I would start supporting a missionary. Or I would adopt a child or I would do something the Lord would have me do. Be faithful in what God has provided for you. Be faithful in the little things. The commandment goes on, do not covet your neighbor's ox or donkey. And this one may be a little bit lost on us, like I've never looked at a donkey and thought, dang, I wish I had one of them. (laughs) However, I have looked at a table saw and thought that, Some years ago, Sarah and I were walking at the green, and uh, there was some guy in a late model BMW Z3, pulled up to a stop sign, revved up his engine, gave that like deep growl, like it was ready to just rip the road apart. And is it weird to say that I had tingles? (laughs) I did. I craned my neck to look over. And then I went back to my minivan, and I broke the 10th commandment. (laughs) So don't covet your neighbor's tools, stuff. Finally, the commandment rounds itself out, really sinks its teeth in at the last part there where it says, don't covet anything that is your neighbor's. So it's not just your neighbor's house or their spouse or their blouse. It is everything that is your neighbor's. So it could be your neighbor's Shape, it could be your neighbor's weight, it could be your neighbor's good health, it could be your neighbor's reputation, it could be your neighbor's children, it could be your neighbor's vacation time, it could be your neighbor's influence, it could be the amount of hair on your neighbor's head, anything that is your neighbor's. If your neighbor has a circle of friends of which you're not a part, Do you know how easily that can sow discontentment in your own heart? And rather than celebrating with your friend and the close relationships that God has provided her, begins to feed insecurities in your own life. And you begin to resent her. You begin to blame her for distance and coldness, when actually it's you that's being distant and cold. Oh, brothers and sisters, this is... is, breaking the 10th commandment. And it will tear you apart if you don't tear it apart first. Now, before we get into the way in which God has fulfilled the 10th commandment, I just have to wonder, if you're a Christian and you're, or if you're not a Christian and you're here, we're just glad you came to church, you picked the perfect day to be in church. I just have to wonder what you think about all this. Like, I I don't know, maybe you, you, you heard us reading the Ten Commandments and you thought, like, you know, you're pretty good. Never killed anyone, to be sure. Glad of that. Don't steal anything significant, really. Try to be an honest person. But I wonder what you think when we come to the Tenth Commandment and we, when you realize that God is judging not just the things that you do, but the very motives of your heart. I wonder what you think when you hear that it's possible that your very desires might be sinful. Because you're not hearing that in the world. The world's going to tell you the opposite, aren't they? They're going to tell you that you have your desires, you are what you desire, and you should follow your desire. That's not what God is saying. When the Apostle Paul giving the purpose for why God gave the law, He wisely turns to the Tenth Commandment in Romans chapter 7. Because once you know what covetousness is, once you know that it's sinful, you can start seeing in your own heart, I'm coveting all the time. And the point of that is actually to lay a weight on your shoulders. A crushing weight. A weight from under which you cannot move. It is meant to bury you so that you would see. You're not as actually as good as you think you are. No, you're far worse than you think you are. But it's also meant to show you that you're far more loved than you ever imagined. Because God loved you in this way, that he sent his own son to die on the cross for your sins. So that when you would turn to him in faith, confessing your sins, trusting in him, he would lift that weight off of you. And he would give you his own righteousness and grant you eternal life. Oh, my non-believing friend, I hope that you've been listening today. Repent of your sins, trust in Jesus Christ, and be saved. If you've never done that before, do it today. Find someone after the service is over today. Tell them you'd like to become a Christian. So what do we do with all this coveting? What do we do with the stinging tail of the 10th commandment? Because it implicates one and all. Because let's be honest, has anyone ever truly been content with their state? Has anyone ever truly rejoiced in and maintained a charitable frame of mind toward their neighbor who has more and better than we? Well, I hope... By now, in the 10th commandment, you know where we should go. We go to Jesus. Because in Jesus, we not only see the 10th commandment fulfilled, we see it forgiven. And in Jesus, we'll see the way to keep the 10th commandment. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. I think this is the last section of Scripture we'll read together. Hebrews chapter 12. 10th commandment fulfilled. This is page 1008, Church Bible. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance Faint hearted. Coveting was born in a garden, and coveting was destroyed in a garden. On the night before he was arrested, the Lord Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane knew what awaited him on the cross of Calvary. And he prayed. He said, Father, if it's your will, please take this from me. And that moment in the garden, the full weight, the full force of temptation to break the tenth commandment was leveled against the Son of God and He defeated it with these words. Not my will, but yours be done. And in the garden, Jesus submitted Himself to His Father, to His Father's will. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me, he said. This is what my Father has given me to do. And he submitted himself to his Father. And Covetousness got its teeth kicked out. And Hebrews 12 tells us that having been united to Christ by faith, we can lay aside every sin, Because you have been united to Christ, because you have been filled with the Spirit of God, you have the power in Him to lay aside every sin. And so you, dear Christian, never at any point can be reading the Bible and say, I can't. I can't do this. You can't ask that of me. Because you can. Because you've been united to Christ. In Him you live and move and have your being. Having been united to Christ, you can lay aside the sin of coveting by looking to Christ. He is the founder and perfecter of our faith. He, for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross. And here we learn how to overcome coveting in our lives. We look to Christ. You look to Christ, and you see in Him the thing that you most want. This is the secret, the key to overcoming covetousness. It is to satisfy your soul in Christ to the exclusion of all else. This goes back to something that we explored in the Eighth Commandment. You look at the thing that you want, and you ask yourself, Don't I already have that thing or what that thing promises in Christ? And the 10th commandment tells you, satisfy your soul there. Not in that, not in what that promises, but in Him. If you're seeking satisfaction and contentment in a thing, You are placing a weight on it. It was never meant to bear. And you will crush it and it will always disappoint you. Your contentment is to be traced to Christ. for he is the only one who can carry the weight of satisfaction in your heart. Coveting happens when you become occupied with what others have. Contentment happens when you become occupied in who Christ is. So Let me say that again. Coveting happens when you occupy your mind with what others have. But contentment happens when you occupy your mind on who Christ is. So contentment is the antidote to the poison of covetousness. Outside of Scripture, I know no better work on contentment than the little book that I've recommended before called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment by Jeremiah Burroughs. Jeremiah Burroughs lived a long time ago, and this is what he wrote about Christian contentment. He said, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit, which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. He goes on. Nothing in the world will quiet the heart so much as this. When I meet with any cross, any difficulty, I know I am where God would have me, in my place and calling. I'm about the work that God has set me. Close quote. The way to break the power of covetousness over your life is to trace your soul's highest satisfaction to your Savior, who is the source and the supply of delight itself. You draw sap from the trunk of the tree not from the branches. And So in Philippians 4, a passage no doubt familiar to many of you, the Apostle Paul writes this. And by the way, he's writing this from jail. You can see it on the screen. Paul says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. You see, from this you can see contentment is learned. If it's true that contentment is learned, then contentment isn't built on things, is it? Because then Paul would say, how are you going to get content? Here's how. Go get the stuff you want. That's not what he says. He says the opposite of that. He said, I've learned how to be content when I have the stuff I want and when I don't. Jeremiah Burroughs would say, contentment comes less by addition and more by subtraction. It is tracing the delight of your soul to Christ. Keeping it there. So teach your soul to be content in Christ. And this is achieved by looking to Christ. Teaching your soul to look at every situation, every situation, even the enjoyable ones and the not so enjoyable ones, as custom designed by your Creator to create in you what He plans to create in you. Romans 5 says, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So when your Lord blesses you with good health, don't delight in it. Be thankful for it, and learn to use your good health to serve the advance of the gospel. But if your Lord removes good health, Don't despair in it. Thank God for it. Learn to trust in Him. And remember that this suffering is producing endurance and character and hope. If the Lord blesses you financially, be thankful for this. Don't delight in it and see it as a way to serve the advance of the gospel and be generous. If the Lord has you in a season where you're living hand to mouth, be thankful for God's kind provision. Learn to trust in Him. Learn to manage your finances well to His glory, and be generous with what you do have, because it's never about dollars and cents. Does anyone remember Jesus' story with the widow putting in the penny, the mite? If anything, that should just teach us that it's not about dollars and cents. You can give a million dollars or a dollar, both of them being generous or neither of them being generous. God is our provider. All that we have comes from Him. And life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Content your soul in Christ. Be thankful for what he has given you. Be thankful for what he has given others. I wonder if it's not the wisdom of God to give Americans the holiday Thanksgiving for Christmas. The consumeristic materialism that is sadly attached to Christmas stands in stark contrast to what we do at Thanksgiving, doesn't it? So this week, as you're celebrating Thanksgiving with your friends and family, give thanks to God for all that He has provided you. Give thanks to God for all He has provided you. Even if that word all includes some things you don't like. Even if that word all does not include some things that you would like. Be thankful for what? God has provided you. And thank God for what He has provided others. I wonder if this is one element of thanksgiving that we don't think enough about. Yes, of course, on Thursday, thank God for His kind provision to you. But dear Christian, thank God for His kind provision for your neighbors. Don't covet what they have. Once you've been satisfied in all that God has provided for you, then you become free to rejoice in all that God has provided others without craving it for yourself. You become free to rejoice with those who rejoice. Guard yourself against all covetousness. Be content in Christ and give thanks in all things. Let's pray. Father, you are the giver of life. You are the giver of all things. And you are a good provider. Having given us life, having given us your son, it's more than we could have asked, more than we could have imagined. You are good and you do good. So, Lord, forgive us, your people, for our covetousness. Forgive us for our discontentment and what your hand has provided. Lord, forgive us every time our hands receive from you and then our hearts complain. Is this it? Lord, we confess to being discontent in so many things, even in suffering, perhaps especially in suffering, for not believing your word and your purpose for it. Lord, we are an ungrateful people. Selfish and self seeking and stiff necked. Teach us to be like Christ, to look to you, to accept the things that are laid before us, and to be faithful in the small things. Lord, give us eyes that are never satisfied until they're satisfied in you. Keep these eyes from looking to one another, wanting what they have. Make us content and profoundly thankful what we have, and for what you have provided others. Amen. Please stand your feet for the assurance of pardon. After having prayed a prayer of confession, now we read a section of Scripture that promises God's kind mercy and grace. And today's assurance of pardon comes from Romans chapter 3, verse 23. If you are trusting in Jesus Christ, this is true of your life. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We'll sing one more song.